Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast, presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. We'll take on a new horse training or horse care topic in every episode. Thanks for listening and enjoy the ride. I'm Heidi Malacco. I'm here with Julie Goodnight. And Julie, what are the skills that riders need to have to even think about riding bridalists maybe a year or so down the road? What do they need to be working on first to make sure that that end goal can happen? The first thing is obedience. And no matter what your skill level is, you would like to have it. Sure. If you never did anything more than that and you only did that at a walk, it would still be very meaningful to your relationship with your horse to gain control and authority. The ability to ride and guide your horse with lightness instead of having to kick and pull. Sure. How do you transition your thinking as a rider from kicking and pulling to using your voice, legs, and feet? How do you even start to make that change? There is a lot of saying to yourself, I'm not going to use the reins first. And there has to be an understanding that reins are not a cue, they're reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And the recognition that he's willing to go where you ask him to go. So all you really need to do is be able to guide him in that direction. But you also have to be willing and able to reinforce when he doesn't do what you ask. And that's when okay. the reins come in. Thinking about using the doors and your legs as a better aid. I think I think that what I was just saying is, is just having an awareness that most of the time your horse is willing to turn or speed up or slow down. You always have to start with just communicating him that to him. Your horse wants to do that, and chances are he doesn't want you to lead with your reins. He doesn't want you to pull on the mouse first. So if you can kind of get that right. visual in your head, my horse wants to learn the cue that that's the way to turn right instead of me hauling on the right rein and pulling back towards my hip, right? Yeah. So much of your body is in contact with the horse that by just using your body and your center of gravity, the gestures that you make with your body and the positioning and your center of gravity, that's the cue. Picking up the reins and reinforcing comes after that. People go to the reins first subconsciously. They don't, in other words, they do it without thinking about it. That's why dropping the hand down on the neck and then giving the cue, then picking up your hand if you need to, is important. Like, for instance, when you're first trying to teach the horse to stop without pulling on the reins, he has never thought of anything else other than the pull on the reins because that has always come first. Sometimes the rider would sit back, sometimes not. You know, now he's got to listen to what you're doing with your body. So first he has to become tuned into that because the reins aren't coming first. Right. Your horse is affected by it as much as you are. And a big part of learning to ride bridles is to get that horse to learn to listen that there are cues coming from your seat and legs. Mm -hmm. And how fast does a horse usually pick up on that? So once, say I've always stopped my horse just by pulling on the reins, but I'll say, okay, today I'm making the conscious decision to do the voice seat cues first before I go to that. How, how long does it usually take a horse to realize that there's a new pre-signal and that that's worth paying attention to? Many will realize it right away. Some will take a little bit longer. But I do that in every single clinic that I do. And within 
five minutes, all of the horses are getting turns without the cues. Uh, wow. Turns without the reins. So they learn it. They can learn it very quickly. And I always tell people, and it's totally true. I've never known anybody that, had, that, that has failed at this. If you spent 10 minutes every day for a week, by the end of the week, you'd be able to ride any pattern I asked you to ride. Horses learn quickly, but but they particularly you know, with the riders that, that have been giving more than one conflicting signal, going to the reins first and you know giving conflicting signals. That horse has long since tuned out the age of the rider. Right. And, so uh, it may take a little bit longer to get back to yeah. that. But kind of how fast that happens, I, I can. It's way harder for people to. Uh, for the people to change than the horse to change. Sure. And, and how long well, it takes the horse to change depends entirely on when the rider how, uses their hands. This really is a mental shift that you're going to consciously make a choice to ride with your body, stop relying on your reins, and when you do that, you could reach this ultimate goal of getting to ride bridleless. You might not, or you might not care to. It might be a fear thing. It just feels like you're in control if you have that tack item with you. But you, these are steps anybody can take to get to that point. If and at every to. step, you'll have a way better thing going with your horse. Right. They're obedient, and you have a way to cue them differently. So tell me a little bit more about cueing with your legs. I think a lot of people really think they're turning to the right that they would put a lot of left leg on or there's the idea about putting your right leg on so the horse turns around a post. How do you prefer to teach people to cue a turn with their legs? What you do with your legs comes with what you do with your seat first, okay. which comes with you just turning and looking and spiraling in your torso, and that will cause your outside leg to close and hopefully your inside leg to open. When you get to bridleless, because it is so much more difficult for the horse to know specifically what you're asking and particularly in advanced maneuvers without the reins, I use my feet also as a gesture. So with my inside toe, I kind of point to the direction I want the horse to go. And they either point a little bit or a lot. And if I point a lot, that means I want him to spin or pivot. And if I point just a little bit, he takes an arcing turn. Okay. But it also gets into the closing and opening. You have to, when it comes to direction, just figuring you got twice the cue if the outside leg is kind of wrapping around the horse and pushing around the turn, but the inside leg is opening and kind of pointing, guiding in the direction you want the horse to go. Yeah, so that makes a lot of sense with making sure you're turning with your body, you're using all those natural cues. If your horse, say we're working on leg cues so that we can start to let go of our rein cues a little bit, at what point do you then pick up the the reins if the horse hasn't responded to your cue? Do you start to give them a little bit more time to well, think about it? Well, this is where people make the biggest mistake. The reinforcement has to come promptly, and you don't wait any more than a second. The ideal time would be a half a second. You need to cue, then reinforce. When you're riding with your holding the reins, but the reins loose and your hands down the saddle pad, you turn and look, close the outside leg, open the inside leg, and then pick up the reins. 
the problem is it's so hard for people not to lead with the reins. They have to work so hard not to do that that then there's a lag time between when they reinforce. Or the biggest reason why the lag time is too great is because you turn and you look and you give the cue and you want the horse to do it really badly. You wait and go, come on, come on, come on, please do it, please do it. But he felt the cue immediately. And so the reinforcement has to come immediately after that. Right. So, But people, they start wanting their horse to do it so badly. They wait and give them a chance and give them a chance and give them a chance. But the sooner the reinforcement comes, the better as long as it comes after the cue. So what you're doing there is if you allow in that lag time, you're training in disobedience and you're not doing what our ultimate goal is. Because in order to have a horse be ready for bridalist, if I'm understanding you, what you need is obedience at every single moment from your body. Yes, and then you come in, then comes in the micromanaging. So many people, particularly novice riders, they sit on the horse and every second they're going, go this way, go that way, go this way, keep going that way, keep going that way, keep going that way, go this way. Instead of pointing and then dropping their hand down and riding mm-hmm. and then, you know, picking up the reins to cue when they want something and then dropping their hand. And, um, and then people that are nervous or are having control issues, they they get stuck in that constantly pulling on the horse's mouth to tell him to either go stop or turn. And really that so, horse should stay doing what you ask them to do until you ask them to do something else. That's obedience that he goes in the direction you point him at the speed mm-hmm. you dictate. Good horsemanship, sitting up, being in good balance, being in good posture, and having a reason to do that because you have an ultimate goal in mind. What's going to make people crave to do this and crave to improve their horsemanship so that they can even think to go bridal one day? again, I I think it's the obedience because to have a horse that's just point and shoot, that that just goes wherever you point it at whatever speed Mm -hmm. you want without any argument, that's the ultimate goal. Mm Mm-hmm to crave lightness, to crave that obedience, and to change your mindset. You have an end goal in mind, so you have a reason to improve your horsemanship and to ride a certain way right now. The horse is your first officer that just makes it happen no matter what you ask. If you're ready and you follow all these steps to make sure you have everything in place is Mm -hmm. to show that to yourself and to your horse by achieving that level if you get there and yeah. if it's safe to do that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So first, you need to have the authority. And second, you need to have the skills to use your aids with proper timing and coordinated aids. You know, so the other big part of this is you, piece of this broadless thing is that you still use your hands and arms they're just not connected to reins. So I, mm-hmm. just like I was talking about, I use my foot to gesture. I also use my hand to gesture because that's really easy for him to look over and see my hand out to the side. Right. And then know that he should turn towards my hand. So. And that's a cue. He's already learning, too. He's already learned his whole life where you're, if you're turning towards the right in a big raining circle, mm-hmm. he knows where your hand usually is when he goes mm-hmm. in that path. So that, that's, a, exactly. yeah, that's that position of it. Another thing that gets in people's way 
as they're learn as they are developing this bridalist skills is when they drop the reins, they just totally, their arms go limp and lifeless. If you think about how much information you have just taken away from the horse by doing that, because it affects even what you're doing with your torso, becoming uh, more hand signals and gestures, you know, leg position that that cues the horse. And giving as much information as you can. For some reason, we're talking about this really old um, freestyle Futurity run, and I think it was Pete Kyle, but he did singing in the rain, and he had an umbrella, so he was riding uh-huh. bridleless with a saddle, but it was to, you know, this song that had the the prop of an mm-hmm. umbrella, um, and he used that, yep, <laughs> but he used that umbrella then when he got on his fast circles, he put that umbrella out and guided him with that and, you know, so leaned forward yeah. like he would with the range to go on a faster circle yeah. and then slow down his speed. But that umbrella was just the extension of his hand going out just like his range yeah. would have been out there. And I, just, I remember thinking yeah. that was really cool, but that was still a huge signal without uh-huh. the range. All right, Julie, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm Heidi Malako. I am here today with Desiree Johnson, the owner and designer of Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. And Desiree, you have a pretty interesting story being a rider of why you wanted to create the perfect jeans for people to ride in and why there was such a need for something that felt good in the saddle. Tell me a little bit about how you got started. Well, hello, Heidi. Thank you for calling. Yes, I do. Um, this all started uh, a few years before we bought the company. Um, I was uh, very lucky to have been able to have my own stable. Um, right. I had three stalls and I uh, had a few event horses in training and my own ring and I was teaching and because I'm an event rider, okay. doing a lot of uh, a lot of setting up jumps and grooming the ring and you know the PP and D, the poop pick up and drag and uh, all all the manual labor that goes along with uh, four acres of mowing and uh, gardening and all of that, being a wife and the shopping. And and I was in my tack room one day, and uh, the br- I was taking my breeches and boots off yet once again. Right. And I thought to myself, uh, there's got to be a jean out there. I need some blue jeans that I can also ride in. Right. Because I do so much teaching. I jump up on a horse for 10 minutes, then I jump down, and I have to set up jumps. And, the, the you know, the breeches just get get thrashed. They're too nice to work in. I mean, to really, really work in. So I went to my local ranching home. Now, remember, I'm an English rider. So I went to a a store, specialty in Western, 20 different styles of Western blue jeans. And I asked the lady, I told her, I said, I want your top of the line Western riding jean. not going to say the name of it because I don't want to smash it. Sure, sure. She took me to the top of the line. And I looked at them, and I looked at the seat area, and I saw that lump, your best riding jeans. She said, yes. And I said, well, these aren't riding jeans. And she looked at me, she kind of blinked, and I said, there's this lump in the crotch seat area, and that's the whole reason why I'm here is because I can't ride in country western dancing jeans. I need a riding jean. And she said, well, this this is it. And so I... You know, I went home and I told Eric, I said, you know what, I'm going to start my own business. It's going to be called Designs by Desiree. And I told him my story. And what I did is I went online 
And at that time, I didn't find anything like what it was that I wanted, but I did find a pattern, a bookerish pattern. So I ended up, to make a, a long story short, I made three pairs of these little sweatpants. You know, one seamless inside, right. came up the front and the back, and they were basically little sweatpants with little knee pads. And I wore those little jeans. I, wore, I made a corduroy pair of printer and a lightweight jean material. For summer, I wore them out. <laughs> Two years or so, wore them holes, holes. And what I loved about them is they were short, you know, right up to the ankle. I could stick them in my English boots, and then I would take my boots off. I could work in these little jeans, pants, all day long. And I could go grocery shopping, and I could get down in the dirt and garden and do the mowing and move my jumps. So finally they, they wore out, and it was around Thanksgiving time, and uh, I said to Eric, I said, there's got to be somebody who has thought of this idea. I can't be the only one. So I sat down with Mimosa at the holiday time, and I found Smooth Stride Riding Jean Company. And the mission statement and the explanation was exactly what I was looking for. And they were interested in selling the company, and Eric and I had a powwow, and we said, let's do it. And this thing that we were, we didn't know anything about the manufacturing clothing business, nothing. I know, it was really, the learning curve was incredible. The inventory that we bought that we thought we were going to be able to buy was all messed up. It wasn't graded mm. properly and didn't fit anybody. So we basically started from scratch. I redesigned this incredible already existing jean that had the seamless inside and was a boot cut. And I made it, I'm, I recreated the whole, uh, basically the waist, contoured waistband, the Grading is correct. The rise is correct for riders, for mature riders, not teenagers with, you know, that weigh 115 pounds. Mm-hmm. They're designed for women who have either had kids or not, but have lived with their bodies and, you know, for, for mature women. Have the curves that they are supposed to have once they have reached adulthood. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, tell me, what do you mean by the grade? Is that the way that the shape changes up around your waist? Well, for instance, when we got the inventory, I had these tiny little rises and huge legs. So the legs didn't match. So the lower part didn't match the upper part. So if you have a size 10 jean, it is graded size 10 the whole length of the jean. And that's, uh, it's a, there's a science to it. And okay. so our jeans are, you know, we hired, literally hired a specialist to grade the patterns correctly. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of math. <laughs> You've learned lots of terminology about this. And and so the big thing about these that makes them for riding, what would you say are your, your top features that make them for riders, not just for wearing on the street? But you could do both. Yes, you could. The main thing is that cross lump in the seat area has been removed. Literally, they're, they're just like uh, how they build English riding breeches only uh, their western boot cut. Second thing would be the rise in the back. It's hard to find a blue jean out there that calls itself a riding jean that has a, a correct um, rise. The contoured waistband, so it's just not a straight piece. It's also curved to shape a fit women's curves. And the stretch, it's a perfect amount of stretch. We have a special process that they don't bag out, so we've eliminated the bag out problem. So this gene that you buy will be the same size within eight hours or two days or three days. They don't, you just don't put them in the washing machine and they 
snap back and then bag out again. So if they don't fit, that probably means that you gained a little weight. <laughs> and, and I'm imagining what this means when you're actually on a day-long trail rider, like with you with endurance riding. I grew up riding Western. We always rode in jeans. And I remember on longer days, like the inside of your leg, it'd be a little chaff, but that's just what you had. And I think it, it's interesting to hear you say with that English or endurance perspective, everything you're thinking of has to do with how can I wear this all day, be comfortable and make it through the miles, right? Sure. Literally, there are some of us that we get in the saddle after 10 minutes, I was not comfortable. Right. So this it's also for instructors, for instance, who just get on, who are teaching all day long. They need a safe place for their phone for emergencies because we have a beautiful old, you know, classic welt pocket on the top of the right side that mm-hmm. is, uh, doesn't have any closure to break or anything, and it fits in snugly so it's not going to flop around. So even for instructors who have to get on a horse and just demonstrate something for 10 minutes and get back off again. Right, so. and feel comfortable in what you're getting down. Because I know when I have ridden English and you're in your breeches and sometimes you're like, whoosh, should I not? I, want, I don't mind riding these in the saddle, but I definitely don't want to go in public in them. So I think that's a, a great aspect too, something you can be comfortable in, but you can get on and off and still do whatever you need to do. Sure. Yeah, I I was joking in another interview I did that you could be a lawyer with a blazer in an office and then you could go straight to the barn and you wouldn't have to change your pants all day long. And thinking about the rider, not somebody that's coming from the fashion world and how to make those look good at the barn, which they look good. All the jeans can look good, but mm-hmm. how can you find something that's going to keep you comfortable in the saddle, not have that big seam on the inside right where you're trying to have contact and right. communicate with your horse with your leg position. Feel good no matter what you're doing. I spend so much money on equipment for our horse. And so I really feel like this is a, a very valuable piece of equipment for for riders finally. Good. Well, thank you for taking this on and figuring out something that's going to be good for a lot of riders. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks for listening to Julie Goodnight's Horse Master Academy podcast presented by Smooth Stride Riding Jeans. Check out SmoothStride.com and find them on Facebook to thank them for making this podcast possible. Also, be sure to visit JulieGoodnight.com slash podcast for the full library of audio interviews you can listen to in the car or at the barn.